0: All right, we're doing a panel today and joining me is old grizzled Reuben Report veteran <laughs> and author of Heavens on Earth, Michael Shermer, and new returning champ. I'm giving you a returning champ cred before you've even sat down here once. Author of the new book, Political Tribes, Amy Chua. How are you?
1: Great, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, well, thank you guys for coming in. Michael, you set this up so I'm gonna not let you speak for just a That's moment. Good. Yes, good. Uh, no, you set this up. You said the three of us should sit down and talk about a whole slew of issues. Uh, but Amy, just so my audience can get to know you a little bit since they know a lot about Michael already, uh, just to give me a, a two-minute synopsis of, uh, of who you are before we talk about the book and why we're Okay. Here.
1: Um, well, I'm a Yale Law professor. Um, I um, principally write about foreign policy and democracy and ethnic conflict, um, mostly in developing countries. Um, I teach at Yale Law School. In 2011, something crazy happened to me, Uh, and that is I wrote in three months a memoir that I thought was gonna be really funny, Um, (laughs) and it was called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, and the world exploded. I created an international firestorm. Everybody hated me. I got death threats.
0: It was sort of just at the beginning of people going bananas on Twitter, too.
1: I exactly, and yeah. I didn't have those tools. I had no social media tools. I wasn't on Facebook, and I was just caught off guard. And I uh, became known as the notorious Tiger Mother. Yeah. And so, in some ways, this um, this new book is um i i got sick of only being known as the tiger mother i was on a tv show talking about ukrainian nationalism which i actually i know about nationalism i've written about it and afterwards i saw the twitter feed and they were like why does this woman this tiger woman think that she can talk about <laughs> nationalism
0: so and you were like i did have a career before yeah, this so yeah. i thought
1: that's it you know i've lost control of the situation so in a way the the new book goes back to what i what i actually know a little bit about
0: yeah well i just want to go on the record as saying that as i am sitting next to the tiger Tiger Mom. I feel an undue pressure to do this show correctly. No, it's
1: opposite. <laughs>
0: normally I can phone it in when I'm Shermer, but I feel a little extra credit.
1: David right. David, the book is actually about my younger daughter rebelling. It's a huge book about, it's a proper rebellion book. You'd you like it. Oh, well in The, yeah, people, case, the whole book is um, so wildly misunderstood, but it's it's been, it's been fun.
0: Yeah, well I do want to talk a little bit about some Tiger Mom stuff towards the end, okay. because I think there's some interesting things happening right now that we all kind of need a little bit more of that perhaps than, than the outrage machine thought a couple years ago. Uh, but, Michael, why did you think that this would be a, a good group to, to sit down together when you sent me that email?
2: Uh, well, because the book, kind of uh, Political Tribes, kind of set me back a little bit in the sense that I've, I've kind of had this lifelong mission of spreading science and reason and critical thinking. And then in, in, after um, reading Pinker's book, The Better Angels, that inspired me to write The Moral Arc and, and kind of go into this other direction of, of spreading not just science, reason, and critical thinking, but um, liberal democracy, market capitalism, and other social tools that can be measured in the same way that scientific things can be measured. And one of the th- things that I like about Steve's work is that he, as a social scientist, tries to tease out what are the causal factors. Variables that are influencing people to do this or that, you know, can we tilt the incentives to get people to be less violent by doing this rather than that? It, it, exactly like any s- scientist would. So, uh, but and so this idea of and I'd read, um, you know, all this literature about you know spreading democracy is a good thing, and spreading capitalism is a good thing, and and, and, and so. But as you show in political tribes, it's not quite as simple as I, I like to think in my head. If we could just go to all these places around the world and bring in liberal democracy, bring in market capitalism, freedom and prosperity will prosper. And at, at some point, we'll have this global community, which is where I'd like to go. I mean, at some point, we're going to be a multiplanetary species. We can't be fighting these little tribal battles on Mars. Or, 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 but actually, I think we might end up doing that if you're right that, in fact, these tribal tendencies are pretty deep. Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, I like these things too. I love democracy and 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 liberalism and capital, these Enlightenment principles. Um, but there's sort of no natural reason that they should have ethnically neutral implications, consequences. So democracy, you know, at some day, you know, uh, if you had a global democracy, but it makes perfect sense that democracy is going to empower the majority group the one with the bigger numbers mm-hmm. that's just that's just numbers that's very scientific actually um, but similarly markets this is when I coined the term market dominant minority in 2003 um, we all start in different places, so just free market capitalism, even though it's fair in many ways, right? Equal, you, you could argue that or we could have a huge debate, but there's no real logical reason that at any given point in a given society that, though, that free markets will benefit all ethnic or all racial or all class or all religious groups equally, so once you acknowledge that, you, it's a, it, you have these transition questions,
0: so I thought maybe we should then, with that in mind, start with something that's sort of happening right now that might help people frame a little bit of what all three of our political positions are, because you I know we've I think the first time I had you on, you at one point you had said you're a libertarian, then you yeah. t- I think you've also kind of said you're a classical liberal, then you've kind of said, ah, enough with the labels altogether. I consider myself a classical liberal. I but, have
2: your T-shirt. I yeah, right. You,
0: I've seen classical you classical liberal. Right? I've seen you in the classical liberal <laughs> T-shirt. That's right. Of course, everyone knows that I consider myself a classical liberal. But I definitely like a lot of the ideas of libertarianism. and yeah. I'm always sort of more drawn to that. If we were to put a label on you, just to start, yeah. Before I get into the specific issue,
1: I'm definitely not a classical liberal. Okay. Um, and um, I love classical liberals. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that one of the Things I point out in my book is that a lot of people are tribal who don't think they are, mm-hmm. right? So if you think liberal cosmopolitans, enlightenment people, you, you think of yourself as the opposite of, of tribal, tribal right. because that was came out of the enlightenment. I'm anti-religious warfare, and but what I'm saying is where we are now in America or even the world, these it, it, being a liberal cosmopolitan is actually a pretty hard tribe to get into. <laughs> Right. First of all, you. They're probably, a
0: very judgy tribe. Too. Yes. <laughs>
1: and you—you you probably have met a lot of different kinds of people to be so cosmopolitan.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I was very struck and ashamed myself. I have a student, um, poor white person from the south, who had never been on a plane, uh, and that was actually kind of startling um, mm-hmm. because we—the first question some professor was asking. So I think that I—I like writing about tribalism because I'm very aware of its effects. You know, I'm the the. It, the child of immigrant parents but i'm very proud of my ethnic identity um but i also love this idea of america as this umbrella um uh, uh identity mm-hmm. so that must it's a complicated answer right because I, I guess as a real you know real liberals don't have an account of why you even have the nation state
0: well right? that's how far you want to go down yeah. that, that road. right so
1: patriotism and all this stuff and i presumably that, that's 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 at best a transitional thing for you, right?
0: Not, uh, well, that's where I don't go so far. I yeah. mean, that depends how far you wanna go down the road of, exactly. of liberty or freedom, depending on how you find exactly. define it. Yeah. So for me, a classical liberal idea is there is some utility yeah. of the state we just have to figure out what that is and I would want it to be the lightest touch possible. But I, all right, so that's a good, yeah.
1: Oh, just to, yeah. to answer in one, what I really am is yeah. I am somebody that um, loves about America, that it's a, it's, and it's very unique that this is a country that at once has a very strong collective national identity, or at least did, we can get to that. Um, mm-hmm. And secondly, allows individual subgroup, I, or tribal identities to flourish. Like you can be, I'm Irish American, or I'm Korean American, um, or i may classic liberal, yeah. uh, and possibly be very patriotic at the same time. I think yeah. that's a very unique thing about this country and that we're in danger of losing that kind of magic formula, possibly.
0: So I think you just described the melting pot, right? I mean, isn't that the, the, the tr- that's the true secret sauce?
1: Well, I, melting pot suggests that everybody loses their identity. like, and, and I think that happened very successfully with a lot of the northern European immigrants. But we've never really been a great melting pot. Like if you take the African-American population, there have been many discrete groups that never melted into that pot. So I think part of it is a melting pot, um, some assimilation for sure. But I think this common identity thing can... can it coexist with a lot of different kinds of diversity. Some might be closer to the Canadian kind of mosaic thing, mm-hmm. um, but I do really believe that you need this connective tissue, tying to right. everybody together. So I guess
0: it depends what analogy you like, whether it's melting pot or mosaic. or But we, we've basically done multiculturalism better than pretty much everybody else. Do you think that's fair yeah. to say?
2: Yeah, so the balance here is. How can I maintain that my my local group identity, which is easy to do because I identify with people that look like me or live near me or whatever, that's totally natural and still respect others because there's some umbrella. And there, uh, previously, when I was younger, I would have thought, well, we don't need a govern- government. You know, this can happen just from the bottom up. Uh, I've become a, a little more cynical about human nature being dark uh, and, and tribal in the sense that at some point you need some kind of rules to govern, say, the, the marketplace t- to a certain extent, at least steer it. And and that's why this, this cake baking thing is... You know I just go back and forth. It's like, yes, yes, this she should be able to bake any cake he wants or not. Uh, but then you know in the battle days when people justified uh, racism and, and you know lunch counters and buses segregated, and at some point it took the federal government saying we're sending the troops in to set to integrate your schools, even though they're down there in Alabama saying segregation forever uh, at some point sometimes you you have to use force to get people at least to start to bring them around.
0: Right, okay, so that is the one issue that I wanted to do up top before we dive into the book. So you, I tweeted out when, when the decision was made that basically my feeling is that you have to offer, we have the Civil Rights Act of 1964, I don't wanna relitigate it, you have to offer products to every person regardless of race, color, creed, and all of that stuff, but that if there is a specific, uh, artistic quality to it or a customization to it and that happens to go against your beliefs that you just don't have to do it. Whether I think that's abhorrent or not, you just don't. We wouldn't ask, uh, a, a Satanist wouldn't be allowed to walk into a Muslim baker and say paint, you know, put Muhammad on the cake. No one in their right mind, I think, would think that that's the government's job to force the baker to do what that. What
1: lawyers always do when we teach is yeah. we start spinning out the hypotheticals. Yeah. That makes complete sense what you said, but then they say, I think Justice Kagan might I'd have asked. How about a makeup artist, right? Can a makeup artist refuse to, to, to provide services to, you know, to gay people, to, but you know, so it, once you start pressing, what right. counts as being an artistic florist, expression? The florist, photog- the photography so, yeah.
2: is a form of art. Grocery store.
1: And- Bagging. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: well, well, well. So that is the interesting thing. So, right. So, go, grocery store bagging. Right. The most, So it's sort of a mundane task. We all go to the grocery to buy the products that are there, and all they have to do is put it in the bag and walk out. If a if a grocer was saying we're not going to bag gross, uh, groceries for black people, that that is actually in violation of the right. 1964 Civil Liberties Act. Um, but the but the idea that we would force a specific product, you wouldn't want a, a Jewish painter, who shouldn't right. have to be forced to take commissions from a neo-Nazi, or there you, right. you tweeted out several other examples on this. But your fear, basically, where I think we don't quite see eye to eye is that
2: Eventually, if we don't do some of this, that things will devolve. Is that maybe. is that fair? To I don't say? know. I don't know. You might be right that in in 2018, it's not 1964, so maybe we don't need such draconian laws. Historically, when you but also we needed those laws to reverse Jim Crow laws. I mean, that, that, that was, that's that right. was yeah, the thing, yeah. So you know, the, the, which we, which in, don't exist anymore. in the battle days. You needed to send the federal troops in to to integrate the schools. Maybe we don't need to do that now. Maybe. You know, this one baker out of a hundred uh, will refuse to bake a cake. But as the as the justices pointed out, okay, we're going to protect this guy's religious expressions. But if it turns out that every other baker it refuses to bake cakes for blacks and gays and so on, then that we that we can't let that happen. That may never happen. Yeah. What What do you make of that part of the decision that struck think, me as like
0: yeah. a really like kind of slimy way out of this? Like, well, you're the law professor. Maybe yeah, You know yeah.
1: why they well, why they actually, did that. Well, um, actually. I think, you know, it is, as everybody says, it's an extremely narrow holding. It, right. it's, a, it's like a punt. It just said that this particular commission was displaying hostility to religion in a way that couldn't make them impartial. So um, I think there will be another decision. I mean, it's in a way, it's just kind of kicked down. Right. It just seemed it, like good, it yeah.
0: had no teeth in that regard. It's like, why well, didn't you make...
1: Yeah, I don't think it was an unreasonable holding, but I do think they, they just avoided the question. Um, you know, what I, I I think is, what worries me right now is the Constitution was supposed to be the vaccine, the sort of what protected against political tribalism. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to get to that. But what I see that's kind of dangerous and dismaying in the Twitter feed right now is that um, it, it's like tribalism is attacking the Constitution, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just something that we disagree with, but it's like there's a lot of demonization of the other side. Look, there are if you teach at a law school, and I'm not a con law professor. That's yeah. not my area. I teach contracts and, and you know, international <clears throat> business transactions. But one thing you know is there are hard cases. And this is a hard case, right? You will have prin- multiple principles or different rights clashing or weird facts. And what I think is almost more scary is you see people on the two sides right now. It's like if you think that a baker should be... Um, allowed to refuse to bake a cake celebrating gay marriage, then you are a bigot homophobe, right? Yeah. And, but on the other side, there are no, you know, the, right? the it's like, if you're on the other side, if you are, take the other view, then you are declaring jihad on Judeo-Christian values. and mm-hmm. this is, the rhetoric is so ratched up, it's... Good? I think the main
0: takeaway is spend less time on Twitter. That would be <laughs> yeah, right. Like I think, I think that normal would be normal. People are yeah. Yeah. Normal. Well, that that actually is part of it because if you talk to average people, not not average people. I don't even like that phrase. If you talk to the your neighbor and everyone else in real life, yeah. they don't behave the way they behave on Twitter. Right. And yet it, has, <laughs> it seemingly has taken a hold of our entire national discourse. So let me ask you this then, because I do think most of these things become local. If there was a, a baker that did not want um, to, to bake a cake for, a, China. for Chinese people or uh, whatever it is, how, what would you feel? is the right thing to do
1: well that's just a personal thing i would yeah. just go to a different bakery I would Well, but, that, but that's why that, i wanted yeah. to i wanted to make yeah. it personal for yeah for, for, that's that's even saying that doesn't mean that i would um disrespect somebody else that did so it's really just my approach to life you know yeah. like well, i really wouldn't want that wedding cake yeah
0: but, cake. but is it isn't that the only way really to respect freedom i mean the freedoms that we have here isn't your decision to either do something or not do something or or go to a business or not go to a business or whatever else, like the only real way to broadly protect freedom is that. It's kind of shitty.
2: Right? Yeah. It, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel great. And it could be we don't need the laws now because we have social media. People could right. just shun that baker on social media or and not go to that store. Or if that's what you want, you, you do give them your, your business. And so the market sort of sorts it out. But it but goes mi-
1: back to your point about the civil rights and needing force initially, right? Like where do you get the, how do we get these norms? We, we mm-hmm. didn't end
2: slavery by by market forces. Right. It, t- it took a war. Yeah. It, And And, by that
1: token, then if you allow uh, lots of people to do this, can you get a regressive norm change?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. It it depends on what you think about human nature. I think I'm similar to you. I believe. I I, I feel like there's no going back. I mean,. I I I don't know that, yeah,
0: right. I think, well, I would, I always say I'm a world-weary optimist. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the only way that I could do this the way that I do it. But I, look, I I just don't think, I'm not calling for reversing, just to be very clear. I'm not saying we should (laughs) relitigate it or reverse the Civil Rights Act. But the idea that we need that in 2018 so that people aren't opening up white-only businesses or anti-gay businesses Mm -hmm. or bowling alleys that aren't for trans people or, Give me a couple other good ones here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Roller skating rinks, not for Asian people. Or, you, know. <laughs> yes. you know, but, but
1: Dave, but, I don't know. It's really yeah. interesting. Going to the political situation, there okay. are um, there are some differences in America today, because I studied American history. That's kind of what I've been looking at for the last even hundred years. And because of these big demographic changes that we're having now, the so-called, what with whites about to on the verge of no longer being a majority in this country.
0: Yeah, That's about 15 years from now, right? Well, the
1: numbers range from 2044 (laughs) to 2050, and then there are debates about whether that's even gonna happen, but most (coughs) people can see that even in Texas and California, it's already happened. And um, again, the studies kind of show, I mean, this is gonna sound terrible, but for most of this country's history, it was um, dominated economically, politically, and culturally by a white majority. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is lots of bad things could happen, but there's also a little room for generosity. It's a little, right now with this, demographic change about to happen, um, what I write in the book is that every group feels threatened. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it's not just the minorities feel threatened, whites feel threatened, Um, Latinos, Asians feel threatened, you know, with the Me Too movement, men feel threatened, women feel threatened, straight, you know. So, and it's when people feel threatened that they retreat into tribalism and get more us versus them. So on this Baker thing, you know, you just never know like we're we're at a funny moment right now. there are candidates running on like white nationalist platforms in a way that that wasn't like in the last fifty year or openly at least
0: right. so okay, so so granting you that, I guess what I would say then is that, if that's all true, and we maybe are going to, about to get much more tribal and, and start seeing more outward racism and the rest of it, that perhaps even if we allowed those businesses to exist, that your answer is still the right one. The the answer of use social media, use your influence, use your dollars, don't live in a state or a town that is supporting these things, Like that the experiment should still go yeah. on with the least amount of government. But I, I get why this is so... Yeah.
2: Complex. My favorite example, when you brought that up in the book about everybody feels persecuted, as an atheist, I'm always amazed <laughs> when these born again Christians go, "We are a persecuted right. minority in this country." It's like, are you kidding me? Nine out of ten of you are walking right. around me. <laughs> you're the persecuted right. minority, <laughs>
1: right? And you yeah. probably really feel you are. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So
2: many well, I times. live in LA; it's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah you're but, all right around right here. But, but when I travel, it's like, okay, wow, I am really in the minority here. Um, but two two quick things on uh, sometimes the need for government force, like. Uh, the burning of widows in India. Mm -hmm. You know, that was ended by the British colonialists that said, you're going to stop doing this Mm -hmm. or else. And they said, but you have to respect our culture. And they said, all right, here's our culture. If you burn women, we build gallows and hang you. (laughs) So you go ahead and build your funeral pyres and we're going to build our gallows and we can respect each other's culture. And that put an end to it. And then in Papua New Guinea, Jared Diamond tells this story about you know, rates of violence, uh, I mean, it was like hundreds of times more than, uh, the, the, than the natural background rates of violence, even in the 60s. And no one liked the violence, but it was just the result of these little local tribes. And finally the overall, overall government, when they got some power, they said, all right, no more violence. You, if you kill somebody out of vengeance or whatever, you took your pig and so, you know, whatever. Uh, we're gonna put you in jail and we're gonna you know lock you up and that's it. And, and but, every, but most people were happy about this, Jared. said so it was like, thank God somebody came in. The parent came in right. and said, stop fighting. Right, and I guess I would say we don't live in Papua New Guinea and well, we don't true. live in British colonial India. But so maybe a more uh, uh, lo- local example would be in sports. I mean, like in cycling, my sport, um, most cyclists don't wanna dope, but they, it, there's an escalating, like a oh. the game theory escalation mm-hmm. thing where if you think everybody else is doping, you gotta do it. And what they really want is somebody on top say, okay, no more doping and we're gonna test because they don't really wanna dope, but they feel they have to dope. So you, you need some kind of structure. So, so stop cheating, stop killing. Yeah, we don't wanna cheat, but, you know, but it, so you gotta tilt the incentive somehow. and. You know, I I hate to say it, but sometimes that has to come from the top down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's very interesting. So, all right. Your book is called Political Tribes. Now, as you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in the individual. I yeah. think that the individual is the answer yeah. to stop bigotry and prejudice mm-hmm. and all of those things because you won't look at someone as the member of a group and you won't, oh, black people think this or Muslim people think this or gay people think this if you look at the individual. Yeah. You will wait till you know what they think. Yeah. So sell me on the, the value of tribes. Well,
1: actually, I'm, I'm Or, or closer, just the reality yeah. of tribes, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, of reality. I'm, I'm closer to you. think. I think we need, all need a big dose of individualism this. Country right now, I, you know, I teach on a college campus, and <laughs> I, you know, uh, that's what we're supposed to be famous for, right? America is a bunch of mavericks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all, you know, I don't think these things are inconsistent. I do say that human beings, and um, this is not a, a me saying it first, but human beings are just biologically tribal. Mm-hmm. We need to belong to groups. Um, there are very, very few hermits. There can be individualists, right. But they are not hermits. Um, even monks. Belong to orders; they compete with each other. Right. So there's
0: very um, few sort of JD Salingers at the end in the forest. Very there's not many of those. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. I bet if there were a retreat for those people, they'd they probably they, really they, get along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um but, Right. And, and tribalism doesn't have to be bad, and in fact, it can be consistent with a lot of individualism. In sports, you were saying, like you know how. But that's a great example. Imagine somebody telling you to get stop liking your favorite team. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but um, the, and family can be very tribal. Um, what I'm writing about now is when tribalism takes over a political system. Mm-hmm. And that is what is really dangerous because a feature of the kind of tribalism I'm talking about is you just want to stick to your side no matter what. You actually take pleasure mm-hmm. in seeing the other side fail or just sticking it to them. And by the way, I experience this all the time, right? Um, if somebody hurts you, um, it's just human nature. Um, but we are, we have massive problems in this country right now, and as both of you have talked about before, we're at a point where we just can't talk to each other. You know, Americans can't talk to each other anytime anything happens, whether it's a shooting or anything, the um, the, the, the cake case, um, I think even worse than I'm not, you know, you could say it's all, Steve Pinker makes a great case, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we're worse than in, in every way in terms of violence, but... In terms of tribalism in the political sphere, I think this is an unusual moment, and partly that is, I think, because of the demographic change. It's very dislocating, Um, and and so I, anyway. No,
0: well, not to bring everything back to social media, but I'm still partly convinced that it's not just, I I accept the changing demographics and and Trumpism and all of those things, but I still think and I see this as I'm on tour with Jordan Peterson now, and I'm getting back into stand up, and I'm meeting people across, you know, from all the diversity that the left loves, but across a true diverse set of ideas too, who they want answers. And we're just not hearing from these people. I mean, there's a reason that w- the things that we're all doing are working, it's because we're fighting the forces of that. So, for that reason, I'm, I'm an optimist. And you know, when I had you on the first time, which seems like 18 lifetimes ago, and we were talking about the moral arc, I mean, that really was what you were selling me, that thing, I mean, it's it's very similar yeah, to the Pinker yeah. idea, that things right. are bending. Mm-hmm. In a good way, it's just harder to see it now. Perhaps.
2: Well, and also because we have set our standards higher, so that uh, people say students in the '60s would be outraged by the Vietnam War, now they're outraged by Halloween costumes. Right. It, so, it, and that it, that's actually good because it shows good. you we're, yeah. you were it's right. a smaller thing that, that we're upset right, by. Right, right. right. Well, that's but also
1: right. there's a correction. I think that went too far. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. I think that's a good example of suggesting that what you are calling the market. Like, I think I think we're seeing a correction right now. Um, that whatever people think about the 2016 election, many, many, many people, including elites, were shocked.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so there's a lot of rethinking. Um, and yeah, even from the Halloween costume thing now, yeah, I think it's, I, I, I feel, I, I feel that there's a little bit, you can't tell immediately. You're still yeah. going to see the controversies, but um, I, I think there's a shift.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's what's interesting because it seems to me that some of us in this intellectual dark web or whatever <laughs> you want to call us at this point, we kind of saw this for the last couple yeah. of years and that's what drew people to us and that's, that's the confirmation for me that there is something bigger growing here. Yeah, right the now.
2: identity politics thing is a problem because it feeds into the tribes. Yeah. Your chapters, uh, well, the chapter on uh, the Trump phenomenon going through NASCAR and world wrestling entertainment and and it's like I never really thought of those as tribes but of course they they are
1: yeah and I contrasted that and I can't believe I didn't get in trouble you know I teach at a very liberal school I just wait you're on the Reuben right? report <laughs> <laughs> anything can happen well I write about the Occupy movement yeah. um, which oh, you know uh, and again I supported a lot of my students I love my students I have to say I am I am I am an independent um, and a lot of them are doing great things for justice. So I even think you know, the social justice warrior is again too big a term. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's also a label. But uh, Occupy is a movement that I say was a movement ostensibly to help the poor that included no members of the poor. Mm-hmm. It, it was vastly uh, an, an elite group, highly educated, all these post grads, um, <laughs> and then and yes, then I say you know, actually a lot of the progressive elites. Um, don't aren't aware, in fact, a lot of the working class, white working class, or any working class, are actually very suspicious of a lot of the activists that are supposedly trying to help them, and that right. was an irony. And then I talk about so many of the poor, including minorities, belonging to the prosperity gospel. Right. The irony, they're praying for money. Yeah. <laughs> they want money, they're not trying to occupy. So, so yeah, that's part of the thing that a lot of thesis that a lot of elites um, in this country wanting to do well actually just aren't are are very blind to the group identities and tribal dynamics that matter most to to just people on the ground.
0: So to that point was Trump's greatest coup here that he was able to take the white working class mainly, but but other groups too, and break them out of their tribalism, or even if you even the Christian conservatives who voted for him at record numbers, I think, and still his support with them is through like ninety percent or something crazy, that it, they didn't vote for him for tribal reasons because he's actually not one of them, right? He was a rich New Yorker, uh, I so it actually, wasn't...
1: Yeah, I think that he has done a he masterful into it. job. Well, I think he's done a brilliant job portraying himself as a member of their cultural tribe, the same mm-hmm. cultural tribe as, as working, white working-class Americans, and I don't think it's all a show because a lot of group identification is aesthetic. Uh, it's aesthetic, it's a matter of style and values, and in terms of the way... That um, President Trump dresses and he stuffs himself on McDonald's, yeah. compared to you know not vegan, healthy, right, right, right. like, just McDonald's and steaks and <clears throat> the suits, the world, the um, NASCAR and worldwide wrestling are these things that I write about. These are not. Uh, I got there was a negative review that said, "Oh, this fringe phenomenon," and I showed the numbers. These are massive yeah. phenomenon. These are not, the prosperity gospel, these are millions and millions. Um, and
2: Trump's in the hall of fame of the <laughs> uh, world wrestling. Yeah, yeah. he is, yeah. he is. Yeah. They <laughs> but, almost shaved his head.
1: And so in my circles, you know, every time he said something sexist or racist, everyone was like, now he's gonna be out of the office. Nope, but, you know, and that, the point is that people actually, a lot of Americans actually identify with the way he talks and says something wrong or maybe lies and gets in trouble, then he's called out. They, they're actually like, this happens to me all the time. Yeah. That's how they feel. They don't feel like... So So I think that he he has established a, a, a cultural tribal connection, even though, yes, he's... A, and that goes to the other thing. I think a lot of elites... Um, I've been doing some research into this. The socialists include a lot of um, people who attend our top universities. Um, there are a lot of... Um, Working class Americans of whether Latino, African American, white, who actually um, would love to hit it, make it big, would love to hit right. it rich, would love to have a big building, of and course. love to have a nice car. So there's a lot of irony in 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 who is championing what, and it's actually very very fascinating.
0: Yeah, so it's just tribalism tribalism of a different sort, I suppose. So it's like all these rappers years ago were rapping about Trump because they liked. All of the gold and the bling, and you know <laughs> right. the branding and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, he
1: tapped into lots of different strands. Of course, there was a racial thing that he, he he was able to tap into too. But there was a lot of stuff there.
0: Wait, I want to just slightly jump back to this to this liberal tribe that thinks that it's not a tribe yeah. because that seems to be the group that I'm sort of most personally frustrated with. Well, at they the go moment. after you. They go because after they, you. A lot. Yeah, I guess it, well, I guess so. That probably has a lot to do with it. I'm not denying it. Well, but, but they're just,
2: accusing you of being in a tribe and they're not in a tribe, but that's not true. So I guess that's what's driving me
0: crazy about this. Is that they constantly are telling you, you know, I'm sort of talking about the, the New York Times elite sort of. I lived on the Upper West for 15 years, so I like a lot of these people of personally, individually, of course. But that set of people that think that everyone else is this thing, and that they are actually the it's ones who have well coffee well. while drinking the New York Times. And they you know. <laughs> yeah. I
1: I I really do think um, that. All of us are tribal, and that is definitely a tribe. Uh, and it's even by like if you take like anthropological or, or social scientist definitions, you know, in terms of what you eat and your values yeah. and your your self perception, and you know, people vacation all the same places. Right? Um, no, it, it it's definitely a tribe, and you know, I and I'm a lot of them are my friends are in that tribe, and it's very it, just because it's. You know, one thing I say is a lot of progressivism is actually, um, it could also be doing great things, but it all is also really fun. It's an identity formation. You know, people go, like yeah. Occupy was a very, um, it gave them solidarity. It was a fun feeling. A lot of the marches. I think people are going to get a lot of the politics wrong because they keep measuring the size of the crowds everywhere, the size of the protests. And I think that's. I don't know. I think people have to watch out because that's, I think if you just look at the size of the crowd, you're like, oh my gosh, I see where the election's going, but maybe those are areas where the whole, I don't know.
0: Yeah. The Rubin Report is brought to you by Policy Genius. If you have a car, you have car insurance. If you have a home, you have home insurance. If you live on the San Andreas Fault like me, you should probably have earthquake insurance. Seems like common sense, right? Here's the one insurance everyone forgets about. If you're alive, Shouldn't you have life insurance? Look, I get it. Life insurance isn't sexy, but Policy Genius makes life insurance easy. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. When you compare quotes, you save money. Policy Genius doesn't require your contact information to get quotes either. Unlike other sites, you can shop for insurance freely and anonymously. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and has placed over $20 billion in coverage coverage. They don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance, renter's insurance, and health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. Pet insurance, check. Travel insurance, they have it. Jewelry insurance, they have that too. It's really that simple with Policy Genius. If you've been putting off getting life insurance, don't put it off any longer. It's never been easier to buy, and rates are at a 20-year low. Head over to PolicyGenius.com to compare insurance of all kinds right now that's policygenius.com. Policygenius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. This interview comes to you from our friends over at Quip. The truth is most of us are brushing our teeth wrong or for not long enough or we don't change our brush on time. This isn't just because we're lazy or because we love cavities, but it's because most toothbrush brands are focused on selling us flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip different? Quip's an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes, while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides so you'll never skimp out on your oral care again. Next, Quip subscription plans are for your health, not just convenience. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, including free worldwide shipping. If you're on the go like me, you'll love this. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel wherever you take your teeth. Not to be a germaphobe, but I love being able to pop it on my bathroom mirror and toss it in my suitcase when I'm running out the door and I never have to worry about my toothbrush head touching something weird in my bag. And finally, everyone loves Quip. It's not just me. They were on Oprah's O-List, named one of Time's Best Inventions, and is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Plus, they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers that use Quip every day. Quip starts at just 25 bucks, and if you go to getquip.com slash Ruben right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Rubin one more time and I'll leave it spell it out for you. Get G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Rubin. So so when you were reading Amy's book, as someone that's sort of tracked moral progress yeah. through time, um, do you think there is a right amount of tribalism that allows us to, well, uh, to be the best we can as, as people and a society?
2: Well, I, your epilogue talks about how to break through some of that, which I, I liked, because uh, there's a lot of social psych there. How can we st- quit thinking of each other in that way? But the other bigger issue on like the spread of m- market capitalism, say that You identified these uh, um, market dominant minorities. I had no idea this was happening in Vietnam, and I had just binge watched Ken Burns's, you know, eighteen hours of the Vietnam War, and I I don't remember anything about the the, the like ten percent of the population owned ninety percent of the well, this, companies.
1: This relates to your point about this is something funny. I've, I keep getting in trouble for every book that I've written about, um, and I, they're, they're taboo for reasons that I think. Are silly. I don't think they should be taboo. So I coined this term in 2003, uh, market dominant minorities. And it refers to small, usually ethnic minorities, like the 3% Chinese in Indonesia, just 3% ethnic Chinese who control 70% of the economy. Mm-hmm. Now, when I wrote that, I think the instant US liberal progressive response is, wait, how could she say that? It's like, she's got to be stereotyping." She's but I just documented it, mm-hmm. um, and-
0: Even though it could also be argued that that's a positive stereotype because it's through work and education and all sorts of other are things, so right? People just so uncomfortable with yeah. any
1: group, ethnic generalizations, um, and I was saying, look, if we're gonna ever solve these problems, so it also, and I even say whites in South Africa, about 14% controlling, you know, 80% of the best land, so even the reasons for being a market-dominant minority can vary. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be a history of colonialism or apartheid, so so nobody's celebrating it, necessarily, although groups like the Chinese or the Indians or the Lebanese are harder to explain, because they were non-colonizers. So, yes, this is a phenomenon that fits um, its... It, it's it, it coexists in a complicated way with these enlightenment forces, um, because you want... To, it would be nice if, if, if markets just just benefited all ethnic ethnicities equally. But they don't.
0: What what does this tell you about how we treat victimhood, really. So the example I can use when you just mentioned this about the 3% Chinese, it's like when, I'm sure you guys saw this a couple months ago, uh, when this documentary came out about Apu from The Simpsons, <laughs>
2: yes. and I
0: saw, ni- 90% of what I saw online, and again, it's just what you're reading online, was actually, no, he was a good character, he's yeah. beloved by everybody, he's actually the hardest working guy right. in the town, right. he's one of Homer's good friends, they did an episode on on immigration because of him, you know, he's right. a vegan, and all, all of these wonderful things. Indian Median Americans, I think, are the number one socioeconomic group in the country. or pretty damn close to it. I think their average median income is always six figures. It's a great measure of success and all right. of these things. And yet I saw this sliver of the people that I'm frustrated with, this sort of elite, lefty, whatever you want to call them, progressives, demanding that this victimhood should exist. And and that to me is the root of yeah. what so much of our tribal problems are about. Yeah, I mean Forget I, your successes.
1: Yeah, I, I um well first of all I just again, just personally. I understand where the people are coming from, but personally I I I, I just don't like the victimhood thing. I, I think it's also psychologically very debilitating mm-hmm. and you get this oppression Olympics where you're you know, you're who can be lower, you know, <laughs> and have more problems. Um, but on this, without getting, because I, I have had a lot of South Asian friends say that they were very upset about it, to mm-hmm. my surprise, so I try to understand. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if there's a big generational thing, which is partly, it feels bad, but it partly what makes America great. Um, you know, uh, my dad, when I was young, uh, my dad was the immigrant, he had a Chinese uh, accent, and I would see him being what you might call discriminated against, somebody like, whatever. And I would feel so bad, I'd be like this eight-year-old kid and just feel so ashamed and so angry and um, think my dad didn't even notice, you know? And then later I'd mention to my dad, and he's like, who cares? This is such a great country, you should think <laughs> where I came from, you know, like, you know, right. I came from, he's like, and, and I'm gonna rise? And, uh-huh. and, 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 and he just made it the American dream. Um, so I, I often, in you know, as an older person now, I, I see very generationally, I think, I, I bet if you asked an older generation of, uh, of, of South Asians about that. I wonder if you might not get a difference, mm-hmm. you know, whereas you get the children or grandchildren of those immigrants, and they're in a very different mentality, educated in our campuses, much more, you know. Uh, so I that's know, that's yeah.
0: really what you're talking about when you talk about the Halloween costumes, right? That right. the the arc here has bent so much right. that you can actually put aside all of the successes and then to just be upset by a cartoon character. That's right. Yeah.
2: So yeah. this is again, it's a net good. I think it's important. It's to a net good, but but it's fine tuning younger people's uh, intuitions to go toward smaller and smaller uh, assaults on their ego or dignity or whatever that they then elevate into these massive, like this is the equivalent of slavery. Mm-hmm. you know, Raping the environment is the equivalent of rape or whatever. you know, it's, just, it's just elevating the, these words into things that they can get worked up about. Because we, we do have a, a moral module or network or whatever in our brain that we get worked up over things. And whether, if it's the Vietnam War, okay, but now it's the Halloween costume. But it's the same emotions that are still being driven, and that's another problem with these tri- tribalism. You, you
1: know, maybe the moral arc, maybe, again, I'm an optimist. Too, um, And I think something is changing after 2016. I have many, I, I quote this guy, Giovanni, extremely progressive student. Um, Latin, Amer- you know, parents from Mexico, lived in a trailer park. Um, and he's saying, I think I, we went too far. We, yeah, I mean, himself, yeah. on this Halloween costume. Um, oh, the line he uses is that crying wolf too much, right, right? so that when you get serious and um, so so I actually think there's some correction, not everybody right there's still things that um are just just a waste of time you know we have serious serious problems and um, but uh, but I think there's some sense even even among this group saying you know maybe this is not the best thing to focus on
0: what do you guys make of the fact that this seems to be global right now that i't that because of technology that this movement, whatever, whatever's happening here now, where so many people are waking up to the overcorrection or whatever you wanna call it, that the amount of email that I get from people that are seeing this in India hmm. Is what I'm getting from people that are seeing this in Canada. That that tells you something really interesting is happening, despite the differences in the political histories and and uh, you know the political establishments
2: of those countries. Yeah, it could be uh, you know a selective focus because of uh, social media and real time covering of, of these incidences. I do wonder to what extent the problem really exists on college campuses of the, this campus craziness. Like at Chapman University, where I, I'm at, I never see anything like this, and, 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 and most of the time when I travel and give talks at colleges, you never see anything. It's just people, just students are hunkered down doing their thing. Yeah, I gotta and, bring you to University of New Hampshire next time. Oh, we well, we'll <laughs> yes. change your opinion on that pretty quick. <laughs> what were they shaking or something? <laughs> they yeah. made, now, they're but, very but, inventive. But, but it could be that the minority, these, these, it's a minority, but they're loud. And they're instantly covered now. So it seems like, you know, if you watch Tucker Carlson and his weekly campus craziness, it's like if I walked on campus, I was <clears throat> to see riots going well, no, you don't you hardly ever see anything so there's this idea of pluralistic ignorance or the spiral of silence where a minority can take over uh, you know a toxic ideology can take over a country like Germany in the 1930s where probably most Germans were not on board with Hitler's program, but they thought everybody else was, mm-hmm. and there's punishment for dissent, so you get the spread of these toxic ideas when actually most people like most college students will privately say I'm against binge drinking I don't want to do it right but but they but they think but but I know all my friends are into it so I do it but but, but, but each of them says that
0: that's what I'm more concerned about so I want to know about your experience on college campuses because I find when I go there and I'm usually invited by it's usually libertarian groups or something you know center right or something or now it's college republicans and I as I always say I would gladly do it if the democrats would invite me Um, I'll give the same exact speech. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I find is that even for libertarians who basically just wanna live and let live, they're finding they're afraid to say what they think. So it's not that all of the kids there are screaming and and doing violence, but I'm more concerned about that secondary set of students that at college is afraid to say what they think because you're not gonna get out and suddenly start telling the world how you think.
1: This is a great irony though, because for the libertarians, I think you need strong leadership.
0: Oh yeah, the libertarians could do a hell of a lot better in that department, no no no, doubt about it. But I mean
1: like even for the campus. Like I think somebody say look, you know, you know, like I um I I so agree with you, Michael. I I think that it's um this is a positive thing. I think and again, it's both sides, you know. Um and it's, it's the loudest voices, and then there's a lot of bullying and shaming, and I've talked to so many students one-on-one or even, but like even in my own classroom, I'm, I'm pretty well known for having one of the most diverse, actually maybe the most diverse class, but not just ethnically and racially, although that too, but I had um, 15 members of the Federal Society, you know, in addition to 15 members of the Black Students Association and nine Muslim Americans, and admittedly, it wasn't constitutional law, it was it was a class that was a little bit not as charged, you know. Mm-hmm. But I still talk about democracy and, and ethnic conflict and all these issues. The 2016 election, but I set the rules, you know. Like you know, I just said the, these are the rules for this class, and you there's, there was a rate list, so don't come if you can't do this. But if somebody for this particular conversation, I know it's going to be difficult, but if somebody says something and they don't quite use the vocabulary that you would use, or they say something that maybe offends you for this, just this class, I'll say. Can you just not assume worse motives? Wor- just assume that they. Just can we just? And I-, I can have success with it. Now it's not easy. You know, mm-hmm. and I've seen like you know you know even our dean said these are our free speech norms. You can protest. Anybody can protest. But you can't. Sh- they have to be allowed to speak. Yeah. Um, so I think leadership. I think there's been a lot of cowardice.
0: So this. So you're selling me on, in this instance, on, <laughs> on, a, on a top-down version of this I that it, that you think it. it has. And I, I basically, especially at a college campus, I do agree with it because you can't, for lack of a better phrase, you can't have the inmates running the asylum. These kids are supposed to learn there, mm-hmm. and they have to learn by people that are smarter than them. So in this case, I am okay with some top-down stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think...
0: Um, H- have you had any pushback against that, though? Because I'd imagine it's got to be hard pill for them So again, swallow. I'm
1: not the dean. Our dean has, yes. Um, and if there are always hard cases. There are hard cases, and um, uh, uh, I've, you know, yeah, I get in trouble all the time, but, but i not terrible trouble. You know, I, I think maybe it's because I'm a minority woman, too. Uh, not everybody is going to be
0: you know, ah, using identity politics against what? them very I, clever. I
1: don't even think I use it. I just like, you know, um and I definitely know what it feels like to be an outsider, your first question. you know, i'm um, i I've always had a lot of classical liberals trying to speak for me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: uh, so i I really kind of get it. Um, but, uh, yeah.
0: Anyway. Well, you identify as a minority woman, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I've been feeling that more and more. <laughs> yeah, so um, the other thing about reading your book, though, was uh, was how um, our State Department did not seem to get that these, these tribal conflicts in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Does no one call a professor at Yale and go, hey, we're thinking about this is our strategy. What do you think? So when, when I was reading that, though, I kept thinking
0: of, do you remember during the 2008 election, so Obama running the yeah. first time during the primaries, they're having the debate, uh, the Democratic debate and Joe Biden was still running at the time, and they're all talking about Iraq. And Joe Biden goes, "You know what? Actually, Iraq should be split into three countries I because know. there should be a Sunni country and a Shia country and and a Kurdish country, and because this this tribal stuff has been going on way before us, way before the Brits and the Ottomans and blah blah blah." And and people thought he was completely right. bananas. Now I think there's probably plenty of other reasons to think he's bananas, but putting that aside. He was getting to the heart of what you were saying. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I don't know if that was the right solution, but yes, absolutely. And, you know, this is interesting because half the book is about our foreign policy fiascos and how it's our U.S. blindness to these, again, these these the force of identities that we barely know anything about. Right. You know, we're like Sunnis, Shias, Kurds, eh, kind of the same, or, or Afghanistan, Pashtuns, Uzbeks, whatever, you know, um, Vietnam, Chinese, Vietnamese, Koreans, all the same. Um, and... It's amazing. It is something that I have not gotten in trouble for. This, you know, because it's a lot of very critical chapters saying that our greatest foreign policy disasters stem from this one thing: our failure uh, to see that the, that there's this, this these tribal identities that um, we imagine that democracy will just smooth it away. Right. Let's just have some elections, and everything will just kind of melt away, or markets. And what I show is that democracy, under a lot of circumstances, actually catalyzes those group conflicts. It gets worse.
0: Are there moments, though, that for whatever reason, either because of war or famine or something else, that actually we can get past those things? So like, for example, things actually were going pretty well in Iraq after they had their elections. Um, you know, at, towards the end of the George W. Bush, forgetting whether we should have gone in there or anything like that, but they were actually having free and fair elections. It sounded like it was getting a little more secularized. Then we left, and okay, so be it. But then things got reversed. But we yeah. actually, out of the chaos, we started doing something good, and now, now,
1: yeah, I we're not I there. tell a slightly more detailed story than that. Um, slight disagreement. I think we uh, really messed up the democracy bit when we first got in there. And I think actually most of the key players say that now, mm-hmm. you know, like Secretary-Step Condoleezza Rice said, you know, we should have paid more attention to the tribal structures um, <clears throat> and worked with that. But what you're getting at is I write about a success case. Um, and this is the 2007 surge. Again, mm-hmm. putting inside politics, that's gotten so polarized. But um, most Americans, if they even know about it, know that we put in more troops, but what they don't know is that it was a 180 degree change in our foreign policy. The people in charge said, let's pay attention to the groups now. Let's go uh, talk to some Sunni sheiks and she, and by the way, they educated their troops, like here's the difference between them. Here's what they wear, here's what they eat, here are their ceremonies. And they really turned it around. And I document all the numbers within, at a point when things were so bad, they brought sectarian violence down, they brought suicide bombings down, they brought casualties down. And then yes, at that point, U.S. lost its political will, we left.
0: Yeah, so So that's where politics really just straight up messed it up, right? Because things were getting better, they had real elections. And
1: it shows that if we do, again, the weird optimist in me, I think that we have done so many things in our foreign policy so foolishly Um, that we can really do so much better. We just have to pay a little bit of attention to these groups, um, which are what people raised in. That's the first thing they hear about. Um, And by the way, the reason for this is something also, I think, positive. Well, why are we so blind? Because I contrast this to the British. The British in their divide and rule, um, they were incredibly group conscious. They Mm -hmm. had these huge documents detailing all the different caste differences, and they used it to divide i mean they they you know that, that's not what we should do the opposite but um i think it has to do with our own extraordinary success with assimilation you know um we um, of course not every group but more than any other country we you know the idea is if irish people and italians and hungarians and you know polish can all become americans within one generation Let's have some elections because Sunnis and Shias and Kurds, <laughs> and, you
0: know,
1: and it's it's other countries are not like us.
0: Yeah. So if let's say if there's a movement building right now and some of these Enlightenment values are coming back, there and, is. There and is. And a the, and there is I, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's say there yep. is a movement building. What do we have to do as people that are part of it or want to build something good to avoid the negative parts of tribalism
2: that will inherently come along with it? Well, read read Amy's book first because she has a, <laughs> it ends positively about here's some of the things we could do I mean just uh, I call this the indugu effect from uh, that um, Jack Nicholson's film about Schmidt where he oh, I saw it. Yeah, he, yeah. he uh, adopts a child watching late night TV you know if you give fifteen dollars uh, a month this will help little Idugu yeah. and they show a picture of Indugu. now as we know from studies that if you show a picture of 10,000 starving kids in Kenya people will give a dollar if you show a little indugo you know you, you're willing to give you know a hundred times more than that so it's tricking the brain into thinking Little Indugu is an honorary member of my tribe. And so that kind of, we, we know how to do that from fundraising and so on. That has to be applied, I think, politically, that, you know, you have to identify with these people. As you point out, you know, actually, when you actually know a gay person or a black person or a Jew or somebody like this, that's not your normal tribe, that does break down those tribal barriers. Your colleague, uh, Paul Bloom, in his book Against Empathy, points out that the dark side of empathy, if we're, if we're super cooperative and supportive of our tribe, that makes us even more um, Uh, wary of other tribes, because they could be a threat to our people that we like so much. And so we have to break through that, uh, acknowledge the tribalism, but also counter it.
1: Yeah, ironically, it comes back to your favorite word, individualism, right? Because the studies that are really positive at the end show that if you can pull people out of their groups, um, and by the way, not just dump them all together, diversity can lead to more hating of each other, but if you can interact with another person as an individual, which of course is the whole hard part. It's astounding uh, how much progress you can make. The best example I like is the um, integration of the US military in the 1950s. Everybody was against this. It was like 80% this can't work. And afterwards, they found that the integrated troops were as or more effective than the all white troops. And then they interviewed everybody and it was just kind of your point. They were like, you know, if you're in a foxhole, you're, you're, you miss your family in the same way, you have to put your life in somebody else's hand you don't care what their accent is or you don't care what the color of their skin is. And that was like actually an incredible uh, Mm cross-pollinating moment.
0: The Ruben report is brought to you by Simply Safe. In 2017, the Better Business Bureau heard more than 5,000 complaints about home alarm companies, putting home security in the top 10% of most complained about industries. But you need to protect your family, your home and your business. Luckily, Simply Safe is changing home security for the better. I've known Simply Safe for years. They're a great company with great, affordable and effective security systems that are easy to set up and to operate. It's why they've gotten an A+ rating with the Better Business Bureau for a whopping 10 Years running, plus with over 40,000 five-star reviews online, you can trust in their product. Simply Safe is what home security should be. You're getting the best protection. Period. Simply Safe has no contracts or hidden fees like some other guys. They work hard to earn their customers' business instead of relying on tricks or clauses hidden in the fine print. They're truly a company that treats you right. A company that relies on good service and a great product to earn your business shouldn't be a rarity, but Simply Safe goes above and beyond. Learn more about Simply. Simply safe today at simplysafe.com/slash Ruben to let them know we sent ya. That's simplysafe.com/slash Ruben to protect your home and family with an A plus home security system. One more time, that's simplysafe.com/slash Ruben. All right, so let, let's shift a little bit here for the for the last uh, little bit here. So I want to talk about some Tiger Mom stuff because I do think that partly what I'm seeing right now as I'm on tour with Jordan Peterson is not that he's Tiger Dad, but he's filling a role of something like that. So it's not necessarily as outright aggressive as, say, Tiger Mom would be. Um, but he's fi- he's filling some role there. Do you think that's sort of fair to say? It's so
1: funny that you said that, because obviously he's an incredibly polarizing figure, but when I watched a few things and read a few tips, that's what it reminded me of. You know, it, it's kind of, you know, one of the things I said in Tiger Mom was, um, assume strength rather than weakness in your children. Um, and I got in a lot of trouble for saying that. Um, but What's the
0: pushback on a statement like that? Like,
1: uh, oh gosh, you know all these mental health issues, and I got in a lot of trouble with. It's um, uh, first of all, um, what is tiger parenting, right? I mean, and it is really true <clears throat> that a lot of Asian Americans have t- parents that are too stifling and too strict on both sides, and they make their children miserable and. People have committed suicide. So I mean, it's, it's, trust me, it's a, parenting is one of those things that affects everybody because not everybody has a child, but everybody had a parent.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. So
1: it, it's always personal. But I think there was something, um, because I, you know, I was, I, I didn't understand why I was in the middle of this firestorm either. Um, and it's, it's interesting because you're in this moment, you're, you're experiencing yeah. it. And people would ask me at the time, and at the time I had no idea. At the time, I was just trying to defend myself. I was until somebody told me to stop apologizing. You know, I just kept saying I didn't. I I was supposed. It's just a memoir. You're misunderstanding. And finally, I just decided to own it. Okay, I. It is just a memoir. That's true. But I'm a proud, strict mom. And then things got a little bit better. Yeah. But I think somebody, one person said, you know, Amy, I think that if the book had been about like a strict Italian mom or a strict Romanian mom, nobody would have cared it was at, at that moment that I hit fear of parenting mm-hmm. and fear of China at the exact
2: same huh. moment
1: because <laughs> that was when all these those test scores came out and the US, this great superpower was like at number 38. Uh-huh. China, Singapore, they were all like one, two, three, and it was gonna, they're gonna eat our lunch. Um, and, and I think also- So Greek
0: uh, tiger mom would have been more okay but, at the and, moment.
1: But going to your point, I think it did feel, um, people said it touched a nerve. It's often, where there's something missing already. Like people need something. There's a vacuum. Something's off. The pendulum has swung too far. Yeah. Um, and then you, this random thing comes and fills a void. So I, I think it could be a slightly similar phenomenon. Yeah. Loss. You, people You, you, know, you
2: said uh, quit apologizing. In a way, that's what Jordan is saying on some level. Quit apologizing. Just be who you are. Set the rules and have goals and don't apologize for it. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people going. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be successful, and I'm not gonna apologize for it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You shouldn't have to do that.
0: What do we do about that set of people though? That is just looking to take everybody down because I that that's part of the overcorrection crew. Uh, yep. But
2: they're not going to just go away. They don't away. want. They don't want restorative justice. The yeah, social justice is not restorative justice. It's the old testament retributive justice uh, lives must be destroyed you know you have to go down and Grovel, and then we're gonna destroy you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why our friend Pete goes and he calls it a this He calls this social justice thing or this identity a secular religion. Yeah, it is like that's right I believe it is. Yeah,
2: that's right. Original sin. You're you're white male, whatever. And There is no there is no restorative justice. You just have to be destroyed. So what can we do? I, I I don't know. It's it's a it's a hard solution push back and just say no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna apologize uh You know, if I do something wrong, I will apologize, but I'm not gonna apologize for something I didn't do, or who I am, I'm a white male, why should I apologize for that?
0: Yeah, very quickly, when you uh, made the decision not to apologize anymore and to stand up for yourself, how quickly did it all kind of stop? Because I think that's what a lot of people that are watching this are wondering. They're afraid to say anything because they don't want to just get caught in that meat grinder. So I want to show them instances of, because every one of us that has stood up and said, we're here, we're not just gonna bow to you. We we've made it eventually. Yeah, I'm
1: not a huge fan of this. I'm not exactly sure what these apologies uh, accomplish. I think in a way I see again, I, I I see things through a tribal lens, right? I think that's like a like a it's a victory, it's a point, it's a trophy. I got an apology, I'm gonna extract this. Um it um it was more myself too, um uh to to just kind of Say, wait a second, I made a lot of mistakes. If you actually read the book, you would realize it's about my younger daughter rebelling and it's funny and whatever, unreliable narrators. But you know what? I am actually pretty proud. I'm pretty proud, um, stand by everything, and um, yeah, I, I, I think it's hugely empowering. Hugely empowering psychologically. Um, But you know, to play devil's advocate on the bigger picture, I think we all need to elevate ourselves because I'm sort of in a different camp than you guys. Like I'm looking at the country and Mm -hmm. and where, and as the optimist, I feel like we all, and that's why I admired Michael so much. Like, it's hard to recognize yourself as being what somebody that's being tribal or whatever. The us versus them always. And what I've noticed, because this happened to me, is one bad thing happens to you because uh, we've all had this, some just terrible attack, a very cruel thing, incredibly unfair. And it's human nature. I get so angry at the other <laughs> side, right? And, you know? and, and rightfully. Right? So I think the warning I would have is, how many people do you put in the them category? Mm-hmm. I think we should all narrow that, make it smaller. You know, Because there are these big labels, and, and people do it on all sides. And I even do it. I just get so mad at this mass pool of people that I... Think of as my enemies because something horrible just happened to me, you know, or something incredibly insulting or this terrible stuff that I get on Twitter. I mean, we all get the hate. Um, And it's so easy just to hate back, I think. I think that's the hard thing. So I keep thinking narrow the enemy.
2: Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, if you listen to conservative talk radio, oh, yeah. oh, my gosh, it's just so polarizing. I mean, every other word is, you know, the liberals, the left, you know, the libtards, libtards, uh, libtards. you know, the New York slimes, yeah. and the, you know, the Washington <laughs> compost, you know, these... <laughs> That's pretty funny. This is Mark, Mark Levin. <laughs> My wife calls him the screamer. She's from Germany. He's like, who are these people on the radio screaming? It's like, that's what gets ratings, apparently. Yeah. You know, they're just as bad as the people on the left. And yeah, it, we, yeah we have to stop doing this. The, the principle of, yeah, of charity. Just be, be charitable to the person you're talking to. Don't assume, you know, because they slipped up and used this word instead of that word, therefore they're Hitler. Uh, you, know, no, you know, no more uh, reductio ad Hitlerum. You, know, yeah. you have to stop that. So do you think it's possible to, to wrap this up on a
0: nice bow and use a little of our optimism here and a little of your moral arc here um, that the exhaustion with all of this, enough of these conversations that actually clearly are breaking into the mainstream at the moment and all of that will lead to a sort of political realignment where it seems to me that I would argue at this point we we basically needed Trump even though I didn't vote for him. We needed him for this now four years of just upheaval and fertile ground and ideas and people realigning their thinking and strange alliances and all that, but that what we can get, we won't need another Trump after, I don't think, if if everything actually goes okay. We will actually be okay with something decent again. But we needed the thing to be shook up before we could get there.
1: Yeah, I'm an optimist for the say. I, I think, um, and it's very hard to say, people are so angry, so there's. It, it's also possible. It right, it could spin get, get, completely yeah. the
0: other way, for sure. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, it's funny. I'm also, we started with the the masterpiece, Cake Thing, and I said I'm not a (laughs) cock Professor, but I've I've been giving talks a lot of places. And the question is: is there another, is there a model? Is there a country that you've studied that could be the model for us to get out of our political tribalism? And actually, this is actually could even get me in trouble because it's, (laughs) no, no, but I just say, um, we're the model. Right. (laughs) We are the model. We, and it's not that we're, oh my gosh, you know, we have made so many terrible mistakes that we're, in a very bad moment in many ways, but we have the apparatus. We have something special, this thing that I call the supergroup context. Um, our constitution, of course we have repeatedly failed to live up to those ideals, but the ideals are there, and this—it it is an ethnically and religiously neutral document. Mm-hmm. Again, not the way it's played out. Reality is always... Our ideals have always exceeded our reality. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, so it's an aspirational country. It's an aspirational document. But this is where we come full, full circle. You know, I think we're we're the enlightenment experiment. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I never thought, and this is where maybe Steve, I, I was not somebody that, do you remember in the late 90s when the Berlin Wall came down, it was like, we're going to be one world. Yeah. Maybe um, Saudi Arabia and Turkey will join the EU. Then maybe the United States will join the EU. Mm. <laughs> I was always like, Never yeah. will that happen. <laughs> that thing ain't happening. I assure you. It's tree. too big. Yeah. I, so I'm still a little bit of a tribalist. I think that. I think the world at this point is too big a unit.
0: Yeah, well, um, the EU is figuring out that for yeah. countries that are in Europe, yeah. so. Yeah, I was right about yeah. that, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm really glad, that'll, that'll be a good place to, to wrap this, um, that you mentioned these aspirational documents, because as you guys can see through our window right in there in our control room, we've got a There's huge American, American flag, flag in yeah. there, but also what you can't see, maybe you can see it, Amy, is I, I just got these two huge, a print, giant print of the Declaration of Independence and a giant print of the Constitution nice. uh, that I was given at a, at a speaking thing that I did for, through Turning Point, and yes, we haven't always lived up to those things, but if we could get back to the, that's why I care about these things. I'm always tweeting about these things. And when I'm in DC, I go and I take pictures of all these things and put up, oh, this is what Thomas Jefferson said. That They've given us the blueprint. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. It doesn't mean that we've always done it right. But this idea of is someone doing it better than us, for as bad as it may seem, we're not killing each other in the streets right now. That's yes, right. there is there unjust murder? Yes, yeah. is there unjust this or that? But it's still pretty damn good. If we were going to bring set it, up, it
2: home, Shermer. When we, well, <laughs> well, I mentioned be, being a uh, multiplanetary species. When we colonize Mars, and we're going to do it, you know, what we got to set up some kind of government, some kind of economic system. What what documents would you bring? Yeah, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. That that would be the place to start. Maybe they'll ex- tweak it, experiment, and then it'll get a little bit better or worse. And then we can look at that as an experiment and go, okay, here's what we should do here. But but that, also, that perspective also gives us that S- Sagan-esque pale blue dot. Look back at the Earth and go, oh, there are no borders from Mars. It's just this blue dot. Yeah. And maybe that'll change our perspective a little bit about the tribal nature of our species. That's
0: actually a great idea. Maybe my new argument when people are telling me how horrible America is, it's like, you know what? If we were going to Mars tomorrow, if we were going, you know, somewhere tomorrow, you got a better document that, to start us off with? And I'm Maybe. pretty sure nobody would have something better. No. You know, they, they probably wouldn't know what to say, but that would be, <laughs> that would be a pretty... I knew you could do something to finish us <laughs> up strong that would bring us into the future and in, into outer space and, and all that. Well, guys, this has been... I mean, this hour flew by. This has been a pleasure. Thank I you so am, uh, I am demanding that you come back for a one-on-one.
1: Oh, thank you. And
0: Shermer, I'll do this one more time with yeah, you, I guess. <laughs> so, <some, laughs> it's been a pleasure, guys. And we're going to link to uh, Michael and Amy's websites and books and all that good stuff right down below.